and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Our very special guest, producer-co-director Trudy Angel, is an award-winning organizer of rural sustainable tours in Baja, California, Sur, Mexico. Since 1986, she's organized mule pack trips to renowned World Heritage rock art sites and famous roadless ranches, missions and villages in the heart of the peninsula. She was an associate producer in 2007 for Corazon Vaquero, a timely documentary portrait of an old California ranch lifestyle. Sixteen years later, at age 63, La Requa was her first full-length documentary. Having worn many sombreros as producer, co-director, head of logistics, desert background driver, translator, and now at almost 70, distributor. And Carol Trudy won a grant through From the Heart for this very film, didn't she? Yes, Claire, Trudy won our grant. And Trudy, we thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Buenos dias from Baja California Sur in Mexico. It's so much fun to hear you calling from down there. I know how beautiful that area is. So I really want you to tell us how you put together this great film. Everybody wants it. Uh, my local theater, uh, we have foreign nights on Mondays, and he came up to me and said, I want to get hold of that woman who made that terrific film, Lower Cure. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, I think it's wonderful. It's just spread like news all across the country. So this is your Great. first feature film, feature documentary. Mm-hmm. We know you had this great idea, and you decided to make the film. You raised the funds, and that's the film that requires extensive planning, and now you're running a successful impact campaign. So we really need to know how you did all this. And so let's just start with where you got the idea for the film, and perhaps you can give us some advice on how you produced it that might benefit all of us. Okay, good. That's always fun. I love to talk about those things because uh, it's it's been a wonderful experience. And um, in fact, the idea for the film came from our protagonist and the fellow who ended up becoming uh, the director, who we're calling the director of the film. And there's a little story there uh, behind uh, behind that. But my friend Dario Iguera Mesa. Uh, He's an old cowboy from the back country of these mountains in the heart of the Baja California Peninsula. And he's also somebody who had already been in the film Corazon Vaquero, as Claire mentioned uh, in the bio there. And um, so in 2007, uh, uh, I guess the, the film Corazon Vaquero came out in 2009, and was produced by friends in San Diego area. Uh, they had filmed Darío 
on his ranch, and so he became quite well known here on the peninsula and also throughout California and other places that where the uh, the documentary Corazón Vaquero was filmed. So about oh a number of years later, about ten years later, so in 2017. Um, I was taking one of our tour groups out to his ranch, out to Dario's ranch. And we were riding mules. It takes about a week. It takes about three days to ride mules from the little village of San Javier up here in the mountains uh, to get around to Dario's ranch. And then we would spend two nights there. And Dario is such a charismatic person. And he loves, he's a teacher at heart. And we were in his saddle shed, where, which is just really an old palm thatch building. And I was in there with my two or three guests who were on the trip. And Dario looks at me and he says, and, and I've known this guy now for 30 years since we've been riding around the mountains. And um, he looks at me and he says, Trudy, um, I'm, I'm going to turn 70 pretty soon. And I've always wanted to do this thing. I've always wanted to um, reenact an old-time pack train that ran up and down the peninsula carrying goods from ranches and villages on down to the capital city of La Paz where there's a port. And then, and then the pack train would take 20 days or 15 days or however long to get, to get down to the port. And so this is a bunch of guys riding on mules and herding a dozen donkeys down to the capital city of La Paz before there were roads on the peninsula. So Daddy wow. wants to reenact this thing. And he said, like his grandfather used to do. And so he said, do you think I can do it? And uh, <laughs> I said, well, um, it sounds really interesting. And then he looked at me and he said, and I want it on film. I went, oh, okay, I'll help you. Oh, boy. (laughs) That was was quite a statement, telling him that I would help him. (laughs) And um, it became a learning curve. I call it a learning curve of 90 degrees straight up. (laughs) Not a curve at all. (laughs) And, um, And so we just started making plans. But... You know, the good thing on on my side of the logistics part is that I've been running these tours for many years down here. And so running a pack train for 20 days was not something that seemed um, a a large obstacle for me. I'm quite used to planning for something like that. But then it was a case of getting finding the appropriate people to be the film team. And uh, so it it all just kind of rolled out in, I would say, in synchronicity, the way things happened, of course. And um, so at first, the working title for the film, La Requa, was actually, we called it Dario's Dream, because this was definitely Dario's dream uh, to put this, this film together. And then it became my job to to bring it to fruition, I guess. And so I didn't know anything, except I knew how to run a pack train down to down to La Paz and get the cowboys to do that. 
that he knew how to make the equipment and what he wanted to tell in the film. So it became a verite documentary in part um, only because I didn't ever come up with a script for my for my camera people. <laughs> like film this really? and capture that. No, I, I didn't know that that was a thing. <laughs> and so, <laughs> oh so I just, yeah, I, I just said, they were like, Trudy, where's the script? Or, you know, what, what do you want us to do? And I just was like, well, don't you just point the cameras at everything? And then, and then we <laughs> figure out the story afterwards. So that was kind of, maybe it will become a, a thing one day, the Trudy Angel style of verite documentary making. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's just, a great way to go. A wonderful. Just kind of, kind of wing it, you know. And, um, well, he, he espouses philosophy along the way, and I love that part of it. Um, and how did that happen? Did you plan that, or is that just something he came up with? Well, that's kind of just Dario, and that that's his um, his character and and his reality is he loves to just ride along and uh, think of poetry or think of a story behind what is happening that day or what he's thinking about, and so. Um, that part of the film now this idea that there was no script and no one was ever asked uh, or rarely asked to say something in particular uh, as we were riding along on mules for 20 days down the peninsula and so the things that got captured by the sound guy who was plodding along on a mule trying to hold the boom above people's heads <laughs> so that it didn't get into the camera frame, uh, which is a oh. trick. <laughs> and having oh, yeah. three different cameras on five different riders and a dozen donkeys uh, for 20 days, that was really tricky, and that was part of the magic of finding these particular people to to, to work this particular uh, uh, production or uh, yeah the production of the of the whole scene and and the whole story but Dario is so charismatic and he would just yeah come up with different stories of things he heard in his childhood he might invent a poem he might say something uh, recite a poem that he'd already thought about and been expounding on uh, over the years and um so the whole the whole gist of the film, granted by not having a script and not having an exact plan for the shoots, um, well, it, we had a ton of footage, and it was then up to the the assistant editors and the editors to cull all of the film and all of the bits and pieces for the storyline out of the couple hundred hours of film that we had and, uh, you know, a hundred hours of sound bites. And um, and really, they were the ones who had to, the editor was the amazing person who came up with the storyline and his assistant editor. And, um, we had a, a fellow, Andres Osawa, who, uh, and they're all from Papaz. All of these young people who joined us 
from the city of La Paz, which is the capital city of the southern part of the Baja Peninsula. And they were all, in their own right, young, budding filmmakers. And that was uh, six or seven years ago now. And now they've really gotten names for themselves, partly because of this film and the awards that it's won. Uh, but when we all started out, we're, we're on, I was the most newbie on the trip about the filmmaking part. And so they kind of guided me along the, tra- the trail of filmmaking as we guided them down the trail uh, to make the film. And so it was really a, a, a nice effort of, of um, talent that, that came together. Well, how long did it take uh, your editors to come up with this final edit, which is brilliant? Well, let's see. Uh, we we filmed, we rode down the trail and filmed in March of and April of uh, 2018. And then mm-hmm. my, my main editor, Sergio Castro, uh, was working in Mexico City, but then he finished his, his contract with one job there, and he wasn't able to come over and join us until December of 2018. Um, and so he showed up at our house in Loreto, and my daughter's empty nest back bedroom became the editing studio. And he lived here in our house for eight months uh, wow. through the summer. And uh-huh. so... He, he he became part of the family. I, I call them my ahados, my my godchildren. <laughs> All these wonderful <laughs> filmmakers and musicians who showed up, and um, yeah, so we just kind of lived as a happy family here in the house. And he would he had specific hours that he loved to work, so he was often he'd fall into bed at about three in the morning and get up at eleven and start working again. And, oh my uh, heaven! He was. So dedicated, so dedicated to pulling out the best storyline and the best shots and scenes. And um, and for that reason, oh, and plus he had a friend who was a musician com- composer. And so we invited Alejandro from, also he was over in England, Mexico, and he was able to come over, live at my house as well. And while Douglas and I were gone in the summer, uh, Alejandro slept on the floor here in my office and uh, sat at his computer and then just started seeing the the parts of the film as they came together and um, making the music score for the whole thing. So it's all original music and it's beautiful. And we also often get many compliments on that as well. Oh, the music is superb. It's just all works. It all works together. Um, It's the greatest way to relax that I have found. In other words, you know how it is in the film industry. You're moving at 90 miles an hour all day. and And that is the best film to chill you out and bring you back into the beauty of this earth. And who we really are, you can feel the heartfelt respect and love of the people for each other and for the planet. Uh, and I loved it when you stopped at certain uh, at some of the ranches and talked to the people and captured their energy. It's just this old world 
uh, caring, nurturing, supporting people, supporting other people. That's what it was. Yes, and that's exactly what Dadio wanted. One of the the several um, focuses that he wanted for the film is is how you ride along. And early on in the film, Ricardo, um, well, of course, we have a couple of children in the film, but Ricardo, one of the other cowboys, one of the other arrieros, the packers, um, says in the film, uh, gosh, these days everybody's running around in cars, racing around in cars these days. And, uh, you know, with a pack train like this, you just move a little bit one day and you get up the next and you move a little bit farther and you get on down the trail. And, you know, yeah, you most films, people try to have a lot of action in, in films these days. And um, But this one, like you say, with the music and with just the sense of place, you do slow way down. Some people think it's a little slow. But on the other hand, it really makes you feel like you've just been on a 20-day pack train with mules going down the trail. And, uh, yes. And um, to answer your question, uh, the last question about how long did it take, I, I had mentioned that Sergio began to work on the film and they lived here for eight months. But then, of course, COVID hit uh, a, <laughs> a little bit after that. So he worked a year on that and then worked another year and then our – a uh, colorist, uh, Sam Duglatch in uh, Burbank. He, Sam Delucage, right? The color, yeah, Deluc- yeah, the color bay uh, closed down, so we had a stall there during COVID. And we were finally, even though it started um, post-pro in, in 2018, it wasn't until January 2021 that the film actually was, like, pronounced, okay, we're done. <laughs> Wow. Well, whatever you did, it worked. Now, you're doing a marvelous job with your outreach, and you've never done this before, right? Tell me, what's going on? How you just jumped in and learned how to swim, trying to get to the other side? Yeah. You know, who knew that once you made a documentary film, then you have to get it out there yourself or... (laughs) Because <laughs> distribution for documentary independent filmmakers is is just uh, you, you have to figure out a lot of stuff. But here's another synchronicity. Um, Peter Broderick and Keith Ochlad, uh came up with a distribution for independent filmmakers um, Zoom class right when COVID hit. I mean... I mean, what better timing to be able to kind of take over and 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 share with all of us all of their knowledge about their background in uh, what does and does not happen in traditional old world distribution. And so during COVID in uh, September, August, September 2020, that's when they were doing their their Zoom uh, classes, and I signed up for that. And, Carol, I think you were on that, too? Sure, it was wonderful, yes. Yeah, yeah, and so I learned a lot right then, and that was perfect timing. It was uh, summer 2020, and then the film was ready in 2021, and and, um, 
and and I just started hitting the film festival buttons as soon as we said we have a film, and um, it turned out that the first and this probably doesn't happen very often, but being a newbie filmmaker trusting in the universe, <laughs> I went ahead and and just kind of looked at all the all the film festivals that were about to close and where they might be appropriate to the story, like um, film festivals that might be along the whole El Camino Real and Old California um, trajectory and might have some interest. So I hit the button. The first button I hit was hoping, I was hoping maybe this could be our world premiere. And it was the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. Oh, I hit the button. Gosh. It was about yeah, it was about three days away from their final, 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 last closing time, and uh, I hit the button, and then I did the same for uh, the one in Texas, the um, South by Southwest. No, not that one. Actually, there was a different one in Texas. Uh, it'll come to me, but but it's been going on for like fifty four years. And wow. when when I got when I hit that button, I hit maybe two or three more, and within a few weeks, I got word back from the folks at Santa Barbara, and uh, Sean said to me, "Hey, if this is still a world premiere, we would love to have this film here." And I thought, "Oh, perfect! Right where I wanted to have my world premiere." And I don't think that happens very often for for no. movie filmmakers either. And uh, then the other one in Texas um, also uh, took us on. And so we were showing our film at film festivals beginning in the spring of 2021, just two or three months later. And we went out to Santa Fe, and that was a fun one. Uh, I didn't get to go to very many because of COVID in part, and then and I was here in Mexico. Um, but we did go to the one in Santa Fe. That was fun. And and it's shown around the West more often. So so festivals in the Western states picked it up and in Mexico. And it began winning awards in Mexico, in Cabo, the Cabo Film Festival, in Mexico City, Docs Mex. And it began winning uh, some awards, the Remington, the Remy Award at the festival in Texas. And so we were just feeling like, wow, we're on a roll. And... Um, and then I'm not sure if I have let you know this, but even in 2022, in October of 2022, I got a phone call from a woman in Mexico City, and we had submitted the film into a contest uh, for historic and anthropological uh, ty- types of documentary independent films throughout Mexico. And out of uh, 60 different submissions, La Recua was chosen to win what has become basically um, the highest award we could get here in Mexico. Oh. The, the sil- yeah, the Silver Deer Award. So really, think of all the feathers in the caps of my film team for being able to put in their resumes that one of their films has, has won that highest award. Uh, for a feature documentary in Mexico, in, in, in all of Mexico. 
just amazing. My goodness, what an achievement. And it's really from their dedication and commitment. I mean, coming to stay for eight months to edit a film is total dedication. It is. And, gosh, I we just have... I just love my film team still. We see each other as often as possible when I go down to La Paz. We check in. And now, to get back to distribution, uh, they are uh, some of my associate producers down there um, who were also the the major camera people, uh, Alejandro Rivas and his wife, Elizabeth Moreno, who's just an amazing woman as far as her photographic eye. And for picking up, uh, I think we use probably more of her uh, shots in the film than any of the others, just because she has this great eye for capturing the soul of ranch life. And um, so they're on the trail right now of getting funding from the state government here to start out in the spring or in, in winter in January, February, March. And one of those months, take a month and uh, have the state pay us to take the film to all of the little small villages and towns around the peninsula where they have boarding schools uh, for the children, where, where the ranch children come from miles and miles away and then spend time at a boarding school uh, in order to learn, and then they go home on the weekends if they can. Um, if it's not too far, they don't have to ride a donkey to get to school. And so they, um, they're working right now on doing the distribution around the peninsula where the film really deserves to be seen by the people whose histories we captured. And so all of those accolades from the film festival uh, awards and especially from the Department of History and Anthropology and Culture here in Mexico has really helped this film be supported. And we're hoping by government here to get it out to the people who really deserve to see it. Wow, what a wonderful opportunity this is for the kids and for your film team to get to show it to the next generation. They must be thrilled. Yes, exactly. And it's it's so much a history uh, and the honoring of the uh, background of the families of the children who are, who are in these small schools uh, that dot, or maybe there's 25 of them throughout the peninsula in small towns, and uh, really to be able to get a sense of their worth. Uh, of their family background, the wor- the value of their family background. And on that note, they're uh, just in California, as you know, we just celebrated uh, Latino Heritage Month. That goes from September 15th to October 15th. And it turns out that one of our, our best cheerleaders for the film is also one of our executive producers. His name is Tom Huntington. And he lives in San Francisco, California, and uh, somehow uh, <laughs> synchronicity came together, and we met here in Loreto uh, in 2017, I think it was, yeah, before the, the Reclo was run, in 2017, and and he became a great supporter of our films. Um, this will lead into some talk about how I got the money. 
but um, but Tom Huntington is such a cheerleader for the film of La Requa. He has helped us get into several venues that I wouldn't have even considered ever. And I think the crowning glory was just uh, a couple of weeks ago. We were in Alta, California. I ran a little campaign on the show and tell platform that I'm using for for our film to <clears throat> do some streamings of it every once in a while as part of the distribution and getting the word out. And I got together some money, just enough, maybe $2,000, to be able to get our protagonist, Darío, to go down to La Paz, get his passport renewed. Uh, He already had a visa that was still valid to come up to the States and to hire someone to help uh, get him onto a plane because he doesn't speak English. Um, I hired a young woman who's also working on this school project uh, distribution. But she came up with him, and the crowning glory for us was the film was chosen because of Tom Huntington. The film was chosen as the uh, documentary that would honor the Latino heritage. And we were accompanied by Gavin Newsom, the governor, and several other wonderful people on stage for a panel discussion after the showing the film in Sacramento on October 3rd. So we kind of had the crowning glory in Mexico and the crowning glory in California, in Alta California, because Baja California was actually the first California before the Padres and the and the explorers went up the peninsula by mule with a bunch of donkeys and pack animals and cattle and went up into uh, where the indigenous people were living in Alta California 250 years ago as a little background there. But um, so this is in everyone's history. And so uh, the people in the government departments there saw the value of honoring that and invited La Requa to be their focus film for Latino Heritage Month this year. Focus film. How exciting. Your first feature. My gosh. Uh What an achievement, Trudy. (laughs) It, It really has been synchronistic from getting the money to make the film, getting the money to... Well, I put in a bit of my own for the the R&D, the, the research and development part of, um, you know, just uh, cutting a little teaser and trying to find the correct people to be working on the film team. That was early on in 2017. Uh, this, these young people in La Paz, I knew of their their own backgrounds in a little bit in film as they were budding filmmakers, videographers in La Paz, making short little documentary films. Um, but I knew of them, and so I wanted to actually make sure that, that they were going to fit, that Dario was going to like them, and they would like the idea of riding a mule for 20 days with all the hardships <laughs> and joys of that. <laughs> and so um, I, I met them in La Paz and suggested that we take a trip to Dario's Ranch. This was back in 2017 as we were doing the, uh, the pre-production. And, and just film him to make a little trailer. 
uh, or a little teaser to, to be able to then start looking for money for the film. And that all happened, and it all worked um, very well because, of course, they, they loved Dario, and Dario loved them. And so we decided that, uh, you know, who who could be on the team, who would be the perfect people in the film. Uh, Dario really wanted his eight-year-old grandson to join him on this journey so it would show kind of a grandfather-grandson connection with his own grandfather and his own grandfather's stories. And so all of that came together. And then we got on the trail in 2018, and I had the promotion that I had done in order to gather funding uh, just to get us onto the trail to do the production. I basically I took that teaser and I showed it to people here in the community in Loreto and some other places and I shared it with people and people started donating. And as well Tom Huntington had a friend uh who was able to donate thirty thousand dollars. Wow. <laughs> and and he also Tom also donated probably up to five or six thousand dollars at that point, and that was all in uh, basically production. And we got halfway down the trail, and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm running out of money already. Oh, great, Scott! And wow. so I thought, well, oh no, it's going to take another ten thousand dollars to get down the trail. What was paying all these um, people and and getting the donkeys back to their home ranches at the end and everything was going to take some more money. So um, I had put in for a grant uh, at at, uh, a place up in San Diego. They didn't accept it uh, early on. But a friend of mine who had a lot to do with decision-making on those grants suddenly heard about the fact that I was doing this and we were halfway down the trail and she decided, you know what, let's honor that grant that Trudy requested and let's go ahead and and uh so she plumped down twenty five thousand dollars. Oh Trudy. How <laughs> and wonderful. We got down the trail. And that happened in the middle of of nowhere in in on the peninsula on the El Camino Real with I had run into town to get more supplies to feed the animals, feed the people and all that. And I had a, I was driving the support vehicle at that point. And I drove into town. I took my computer and I turned on my computer. And the woman who had responded to my grant in the first place said, guess what? Um, <laughs> she just decided to give you $25,000. Where should we put it? Oh, <laughs> like, wow. Holy cow. So those kinds of trusting the universe and the synchronicity and the fact that, um, you know, in my point of view, this film has a life of its own. It was meant to be, and so it came together, not without its stresses and its uh, you know difficulties and uh, problem solving and all of that. It wasn't like it was just flowing along all the time, but... Uh, but whenever we came upon a hurdle, we got over that hurdle and just kept on going down the trail. That's faith. And, and someone up there is definitely watching over you, I would say. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> well, now let's get into the um, 
outreach. Did you have any idea when you finished your film um, how to contact people and how to get it uh, seen uh, uh, or how to start selling it and where the market was? Uh, and and so tell, go back to that area and tell us how you started picking up the phone or sending emails to uh, market the film to get the yeah. distribution going. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Well, that that's interesting. Um, okay. So that that falls back to Keith Ochlat. So I became a, a member of uh, of this show and tell dot film that Keith is a wonderful instructor to uh, uh, to be able to follow. And, and just his, uh, along with Peter Broderick and many other people who, who are really now helping independent filmmakers um, find their way after once the film is, is produced, um, their suggestion of looking online for your super fans. Look, looking online... Uh, throughout the internet of people who might have interest. Uh, so for me, our consideration was, gee, I wonder if Western history museums might have some uh, some idea or um, some honoring of, of this kind of film or desire to see this kind of a film. And so we started digging around and and in the past, also because I've been running tours for so many years down here in Mexico, having to do with mule packing, uh, I went to my mail, my own mailing list of a couple thousand people and just started putting the word out, looking for donations. And there were some key people uh, who really supported us in, in associate producer positions, too. A few thousand dollars here, a couple thousand dollars there. Every time I would go to them, particularly to look for money, they were so enthusiastic about the film, they'd clunk down another $1,000. And you, uh, from the heart, of course, being the fiscal sponsors, just is a great, great way to encourage people to give donations, of course, because then uh, they know that they can get a tax-deductible receipt on that. And so I'm very happy when every once in a while, Shirley there from the heart says, Truly, here's another one. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> oh yes, and I know. We were so thrilled when you got money, and sometimes it was only a thousand, but we knew it was so important. It was yeah. a heartfelt. All these were heartfelt donations to you. Yeah, and then to to continue on to um, uh, be able to. Oh, the other thing I had to do in order to get the film ready to to go play in Sacramento was to have an hour-long cut version of this 86-minute film. So what does that yes. mean? That means we have to take a half an hour, a third out of uh, the film in order to get it ready for showing to an audience that, that really wouldn't want to, uh, it wouldn't be appropriate to have them stay for the whole hour and a half feature. Um, and that's also, I was getting it ready to to how to put it into the PBS, how to offer it up to NETA, N-E-T-A, uh, NETA, in order, the organization to, uh, as a preliminary to some PBS screenings. And so that all came together pretty synchronistically, too. And my friend, 
I said I I thought I would need a you know close to five six thousand dollars to do that uh, to find an editor who did a wonderful job of cutting down and then the mastering I had done with my team down in La Paz and um, luckily the editor was in San Francisco and I happened to be up in Northern California he and I sat down for just five or six hours one day and went through the time code version and cut it down to uh, basically said, okay, yeah, this this could come out and that could be shortened by five seconds and this could uh, eliminate and this has to come out and we don't need a six-minute trailer. Uh, we don't need a six-minute credit roll. And <laughs> right. Like that. right. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, to get the first 15 minutes cut out, that was really fun. Uh, and fine and easy, but it's that final 15 minutes that we that he probably sweated over a little bit, but he he did a good job. And then and then we tweaked it a little bit with my mastering team down in La Paz, and then it was ready three days before our presentation in Sacramento. <laughs> so we were a oh, little gosh. bit down to the wire there. Yeah, I still owe people money, but I know that money's going to come in. And uh, it will eventually, probably before the end of the year, and so I get to pay myself back for that. So. Right, um, right. So, but let me say that I've often found that documentary filmmakers, when they get that 60-minute cut, it's so saleable to uh, foreign and other places. They like that because it's usually 52- or 53-minute cut for TV. So have you found that's been beneficial? You know, I just haven't had the time to even look into European markets. Um, just settled back into our home down in Loreto and got our first mule pack trip to see rock art off into the mountains on Monday. So I got back here yesterday, back home. And, um, and so now is the time, or in a week or so, when I've, when I've settled in a little bit better, uh, to start looking at how to submit you know, to Nita uh, this film. And eventually, it probably won't be until next year that I would go ahead and look for a European market uh, with the film. So I'll, well, I'll wait until after the holidays. But Yes. But yes, it's it, it really certainly important. helpful. And that was a big part of my 90-degree straight-up learning curve, too, was that, oh... <laughs> You know, I I was actually trying to encourage my my editor here, Sergio, in the house even, and say, you know what, let's keep it at about 65 minutes so that we don't have to cut down very much, because uh, you know we'll have. But he couldn't. He just had so many bits and pieces of story to tell. He just um, it just went on and on, and it became a feature length. And uh, and I thought, well, okay. He did not even want to try to be the editor to cut down. He said, I would cry. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, you'll have to find somebody else. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. Oh, my gosh, that's really committed. Well, let me say that Spain would be immediately would be a wonderful country. And uh, I have a, another sponsored filmmaker named Cello, uh, and she is uh, ha- lives in Spain and lives here too, and she is mm-hmm. focusing on uh, international distribution for films. So, 
in January, I'll connect you with her because she would Perfect. really be able to help you. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, that that's wonderful. And, and I, I think I've made another couple connections, so that should get us in there. And, you know, I've always heard that in Germany, they're really way into cowboy stuff and Western stuff. So um, although I didn't, I didn't try it for uh, really any film festivals, one or two maybe in Europe, and and they didn't go through. So I thought, well, that's interesting, um, but it it doesn't give me it doesn't make me give up hope that uh, someday in Europe folks are going to love this film. And yes, I'm really glad that right now I have a 61 minute cut, but it will be a lot easier to trim that down to 56:46 for. PBS or for 52 or 53 for for European TV spots as well. Right. Uh, Yes, and uh, Germany is a good place. A lot of, in fact, American Indians, I've met them, filmmakers who are American Mm -hmm. Indians who live in Germany because it treats them so well. So uh, Ah. meaning, yes, cowboys and Indians are... (laughs) Uh, of interest to the German people. Great. One other part of the distribution, too, is um, because we took Dario, he was invited, our our cowboys were invited to Elko, Nevada, to the National Cowboy Poetry Gathering uh, back in 2015. And so, and we showed Corazon Vaquero a, a couple of times there as well. And so, they, when they heard about La Recla and saw the screener, they were like, yeah, yeah, we would love to have you come. Uh, and and so all these people got to see La Recla in, in Elko this past, this year, in February. And so it just goes on and on. You, even though it might not, it, it's going to be a long, a long run for this. It's an evergreen type of a film. Um, and so... I, I think it will just keep going and going, and eventually um, I'll put it up online. Uh, I'll be able to sell it, but I, I feel like I don't need to do that until after uh, maybe a PBS run if that comes to fruition. And But people are clamoring down here to, to see it. We still have to do some tweaking and um, we might be able to, I, I think that I could sell it as a, in a DVD format down here in Mexico. A lot of people still have DVD players and also uh, do a streaming of a, of a little bit shortened version. So yes, there's still yes. a lot to come. You know, uh, even yes. though it came, went out at on 2021 and now it's 20 going on uh, three years and Things just keep popping up. We've been invited to a couple of southwestern symposiums. The Sonoran Desert Symposium in Ajo, Arizona will happen next March. Uh, We were invited to Alamos, Sonora in Mexico for another symposium uh, to share the film. And and also, I'm not sure if we'll do the one-hour version or if we'll do the uh, the hour-and-a-half version. But, um, yeah, people are, are... there's still very much uh, a lot of interest for the film, and we'll just keep grabbing those uh, those little stars as we go along. <laughs> right, you're right. This is wonderful, Trudy. You just shared so much information with us. Thank you very much. Uh, 
And what, are you planning any other film, or are you just going to devote your time to continuing the distribution of this film? Um, I hope to do another film. Well, I hope to do the educational cut down, uh, an educational series, maybe a little series of three um, in in a format where um, there would be some background material for teachers. And as as the world spins and as you go to these different presentations and meet the different people who, who are interested enough to come and watch your film, they also share with you um, lots of opportunity. And so an opportunity came up with a, a man who's been putting together um, the fourth, in, in California, in fourth grade, you go through California history. And in the past, it's been just one point of view of history. And now the formatting of the scholastic fourth grade programs uh, has changed, and they want to include more voices, the indigenous voices and the Latino voices and the Spanish heritage and all of that. And so this one man showed up at our presentation in Sacramento and said, I will help you. Uh, put together something that will be appropriate and uh, accepted by the state education system. So there wow. you have it. You know, oh. someone shows up in your in your field and in your <laughs> and you just roll with it and you continue on. And and it's not a full time job for me. It can it cannot be. I have too many other irons in the fire down here. But uh, as those opportunities come up. You know, I heard about it this this past summer, and so I'll take off with it maybe in another, uh, maybe next year. I'll be able to start working with uh, Damien on on that project. What fun that will be! This is great, Trudy. So it really is a a, a trust the universe kind of rollout. Uh, that has been my experience anyway. And, um, uh, yeah, just wonderful to meet all of these great enthusiastic people in the, in the different organizations like Show and Tell or um, the folks out, you know, Doug Block out in the eastern East Coast area and you all and so many other filmmakers who really are so dedicated to the stories that need to be shared. So it, it's very fun to be a part of that whole scene of, of uh, people and, and this wonderful 90-degree straight-up learning curve. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Yes, I truly understand that. Well, thank you very much, and I'm sure the filmmakers all thank you for sharing this. And it's uh, it's faith, it's belief, it's trust, and uh, and getting a good team. What mm-hmm. really struck me was how you introduced uh, your uh, crew to Dario to see if there was a connection and if this would work. Uh, and that's the way to create a good film is through yeah. the crew, everyone having the same vision and wanting to, knowing what they want to achieve as a team, Right. Well, it's it's wonderful. And for the protagonists in the film, we didn't really talk too much this time about the 
eight-year-old boy and the 10-year-old girl in the film, but I'm, I'm going to share a wonderful story. The reason I went up to San Ignacio in the last few days to get this uh, first our first trip of the season off on the trail is because that 10-year-old girl in the film, she's amazing in the film, she's now 16, and we've been getting her some English lessons, and she's going out to work as a trail guide and a translator and a cook on our pack trips now. So oh, what fun. Yeah, yeah. I've known her since, you know, I've known her parents since before she was born. So uh, it's really all in the family, and uh, we've had a wonderful uh, time helping Susena um, find the thing that she is most interested in. And as she says at the end of the film, she says, you know, I really love having gone on this ride with Dario and helping him share, helping share in his dream to spread this history. And she said, and I think I want to, I want to live on the ranch. Um, I could do school online and, and I still want to continue to live on the ranch. I love the ranch life. And so this will help her move in her direction as well. And every once in a while, as we bring in some funding from doing the streaming or, uh, or winning a prize or something, they get a little money in their pockets as well. And it's, it's really a, a wonderful uh, shared vision that's come to fruition and is still helping. This is marvelous. So she's going to get to live her dream life, make uh, enough money to uh, be a happy camper, <laughs> running up and yeah. down the mountains with you and your friends. What a great way to live, getting out of yeah. the business world and into nature for a living. Yes. What a wonderful idea. Yeah, that's how she's been raised, and she wants to continue that. So we want to help her and honor that for sure. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Trudy. Best of luck with your uh, your distribution. So Claire and I will catch up with you again uh, sometime next year and see where you are. Okay. That'll, it's always fun to share the stories with you, and I've, I've had a wonderful um, experience, and all of my guests or people who have been donating have had a wonderful experience with From the Heart, um, and so it's been helpful for us. For sure, all oh, along the trail. Great. Oh, yeah. oh, thank you so much for that. I'm glad to hear it. That's the main thing we want is service and commitment and helping and making it easy for you to raise money and get your money into the film. Well, good okay. luck. Thank Lots you of good so much, luck. and it's been fun speaking again. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Claire. Bye. And thank you. Very thank you, Claire. Okay. All right. Bye for now. Be well, everyone. Thank you. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. 
I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N.com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at FromTheHeartProductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.